0: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it's The Voice of Reason. It is a post-Monday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. I don't care what you say. It's kind of awesome today. Welcome into the broadcast. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station all over the country. Multiple radio stations, multiple TV stations, live streaming and podcasting as well. Welcome aboard your Millennial General Reporting for Duty. Like we do every single day, I have a problem and I need to announce it right off the bat. I think, I think, I need to go to rehab, and it's not because it's my fault. It's because it's society's fault. They have pressured me in to do things. I need to go to rehab, and apparently, there's a rehab for everything now. Did you, are you aware that according to the Sun, there is a uh, there is a rehab facility for Bitcoin users? there's a rehab clinic now that's open officially in scotland claiming to be the first in the world to treat cryptocurrency addiction as individuals are now using that as if it's like gambling and now we have a cryptocurrency rehab facility out of scotland as the clinic is run by the therapist tony marini who claims to be the first physician to recognize that crypto trading is very similar to gambling he said the most addicts start by occasionally trading Before frequent wins, defeat, dopamine cravings, and dreams of earning millions of dollars. However, such a habit-forming behavior where users can lose such large sums of money can lead to disaster and even suicide, he adds. Wow. It's a whole other world I was never even aware of. Now, I have to say, and most of you know, some of, some of you know this story uh, from a few years back. This was probably three, four years back. Mrs. Voice of Reason and I ended up filing medical bankruptcy just because there was so much medical debt with a lot of the medical issues that Mrs. Voice of Reason had that we, we had to. There was no other way to do it. So we filed medical bankruptcy. It was unfortunate, broke our hearts, and it was a good thing in the long run because we ended up Going down the whole Dave Ramsey, paying off debt, trying to get uh, get away from stuff and not doing the leasing, not using credit cards. And that's what we've lived that like for the last four years, which is amazing. So it in the long run, it's turned out really, really good. But we did file medical bankruptcy because of the medical debt that we had. And while we were there, we were in court. I'll never forget this. We were in court and the guy before us talking to the judge, talking about his issues, was filing bankruptcy because he had invested everything that he had in Bitcoin everything in cryptocurrency and he was getting foreclosed on in his home and he was losing his car and he had lost his job because all of his money he went to bitcoin and obviously when the markets tanked and whatever happened at that time then bitcoin went down in value and he lost all this money and he owed a whole bunch of people a whole bunch of money and he had this issue and we were sitting there waiting for our turn and the judge was sitting there looking at him and saying are you gonna do this again he's like no i'm not gonna invest in bitcoin again i i guess it happens and obviously with investors, if you look at, I don't know, the 1920s boom when the Great Depression hit at the end of the 20s, early 30s, we had the boom as well where you could be a millionaire on paper and then you see people and uh, stockbrokers jumping out of buildings and windows because they couldn't deal with all the losses that they saw on the paper. So it's sad that we've gone down the road of using this same mindset as, uh, with digital currency, although I guess it's not necessarily surprising. It's wild to me, though, that you would use it as like a gambling addict. I mean, I get it. Now, I have a little bit in the Dogecoin, doggy coin, whatever you want to call it. Also in the Shiva coin, which is another one that's really, it's like, I don't know, like 10 decimals past the one cent letter uh, level. So it's really a ways away. If it hits a cent, I am a millionaire, baby, because I have like 7 million shares in that thing just by investing like 60 bucks, uh, which is really neat. So one of these days, One of these days, it's going to hit a penny. But I don't sit there every day and track it. I don't sit there every day and try and play it and try and sell some and buy some and move things around. Because my understanding of trading has always been you put money into it and then you watch it. And if it gets up really, really high, then you can sell it, you know, a couple weeks later. You can buy some more when it sinks down or whatever you want to do. But for the most part, you have the short-term stuff for like the day trading. Then you have long-term trading, which is just entertaining. And hopefully you have a good return at the end of the day. But now we've taken it to another level. Give individuals an opportunity, and they're going to run with it and take it to the extreme. And that's why we're seeing now digital currency rehab clinics for those that have a cryptocurrency addiction. Now, you know that this is going to be an end for the government to try and control the industry. Oh, look, people are having issues. We need to regulate it. We need to tax it. We need to make sure that the game is being played fairly. We're the government, and we're here to help, and we're going to come and take over this thing, which, of course, is what's going to happen. I was watching throughout the day today. I was watching the hearings. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to any of it, but the hearing of the whistleblower on Facebook. And I listened to, I don't know, a good two, three hours of it while I was working. It was just on behind the scenes as I was doing things and listening today. And it was really fascinating to hear from both Republican and Democrat senators that were interviewing her in this committee. Because they were asking about the the algorithms in Facebook and the the uh, sales quotas that individuals that work at Facebook have to hit and why there's certain algorithms are is there really hate speech being censored and what's going on? But they really went into the children. In how young children now you're not supposed to have a Facebook account, apparently under the age of thirteen doesn't happen. Obviously it does. You can literally hit I'm over 13 and you change a different age and then you can join your account and do whatever you want to do. But you still have an algorithm for children apparently on Facebook. So that way they don't see adult content. Does it work? Not necessarily. And some of the conversations from both Republicans and Democrats were talking about ways to censor and monitor and be transparent and control social media, including Facebook, so that way we can regulate the content that children are seeing in these things. Now, the fact that Republicans were talking about this blew my mind, blew my mind, because I can't believe Republicans are advocating for government control in the industry. Democrats, I can see it because they see it as they're in. Oh, look at it. There's an issue. We need to control it. Government's the solution, Government's the solution here. We're for the government. We're here to help. And that's always their mindset. The Republicans I found very disturbing as well. Now, it was Mike Lee from Utah, very conservative guy, big fan of Mike Lee. And he had different posters that he was showing the gal on her thoughts with the algorithm that Facebook had approved. Now, they didn't run, but they had approved some ads for children about like anorexia, how to stay thin and how to like continue your anorexic behavior. There was one about dating on, you know, how to find the love of your life. These are for children, again, 13 years and younger of individuals that are, or I guess 13 to 18 years old technically is what Facebook's supposed to have, but it was dating apps on how to find the love of your life and all these weird, ridiculous apps or or advertisements that were approved by Facebook to run to market to these younger generations. And they were talking about ways to make sure this doesn't happen and ways to protect the children and what we can do to make sure they're not exposed to this sort of thing. And then, of course, the conversation of human trafficking got involved at the same time and what we can do to try and limit the amount of human trafficking. And all of these conversations were going on. The, the, the only thing that I could think of listening to this absurdity was where the hell are the parents Now, my little voice of reason, she is seven years old. She does not have a cell phone. She does not have an iPod. I'm not getting her an iPod, or I'm not getting her a cell phone until she starts driving at the age of eighteen. So she may have a social media account, but it won't be on her phone that she can check all the time. She can do the tweety all the time with her friends. She can send, you know, pictures or messages to other people. Not happening. Not happening. And if she does want a phone, she can find a way to pay for it herself. That's the way I grew up. That's the way that she's going to grow up. She's not going to have that type of – she's going to learn to live without that stuff. And I don't care if she's uncool and out of the trends with her, her friends. I don't care. It's not happening. She's going to learn to enjoy, go outside and play, be active with her friends out, riding her bikes, doing their thing. She plays video games once in a while. Actually, that's kind of the thing right now. If she aces her spelling test every week, she can play a couple hours of Mario. Yeah, Mario over the weekend. Now, it's Mario Wii, so that's okay. But she's not getting a cell phone. And if she joins a social media account, which I'm sure by middle school, high school, the kids, the schools are going to be like, well, they need to, to be able to do their homework online. So we'll have to figure that out as we go along. But she's not having the phone to sit there and just message people all the time and be sucked into this stuff and then see this type of thing because I don't care What is on social media? Is it sick? Yeah, it's sick. Should we have our kids exposed to that stuff on social media? No, we should not have our kids exposed to that stuff on social media. Where are the parents? Because at the end of the day, the government cannot keep your kids safe online. There are kids that are going to hit that button that says, yes, I'm above the 18 years of age. There's the kids that know how to do the little find the traffic signs in these different pictures for you to validate to yourself that you're not a robot. The kids know how to do that. In fact, there are kids now that know how to build apps at the age of seven or eight or ten years old, which I feel kind of bad isolating the little voice or reason because I don't want her to be behind the times because technology is the future, but at the same time, she needs to learn to live without it and then be able to appreciate it and handle it properly a little bit older. That's my mindset and I'm sticking to it. I don't care. If you're mad at me, you can email me who's your media network at gmail.com. But The parents need to be the gateway here to talk to their kids and say, when this stuff gets exposed to you and you do run in and encounter this stuff, this is how you handle it. This is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not the way things are done. This is not because you should be able to see the red flags pop up and be like, wow, someone's messaging me saying that I'm really cute at 8 or 10 or or 11 years old or whatever. Uh, Yeah, you don't need to be talking to that person. Give it to daddy and daddy will handle that. That's the conversation we're going to have. I don't know why or how the government feels like, you know what, we're going to come into Facebook, we're going to make them open up our doors to us, we're going to control the entire topic and situation here, and we're going to take care of your kids. Some of them may be doing it with the best of intent. Others are doing it for control. And I've told you this before, there are two types of Democrat liberal progressives. There are the bleeding hearts that actually feel like they're doing the right thing but are just unfortunately misguided by using government as that, that platform to take care of people when that's not the role of government. And there are those that understand that there are bleeding hearts individuals there, and they use them to try and promote their agenda for their own personal gain. There's only two types of progressives, and those are the two. And if there are those that are the bleeding hearts, we need to do something. You can say that with the Second Amendment issue as well. You need to do something, right? Because it's worked so far that every shooter has been able to pass a background check, that every person that's done a bad thing with a gun was able to find it either illegally because they've never done anything bad before or illegally on the black market because you will never get rid of a black market. You can use that example for any type of issue, including social media. Social media is unfortunately a part of our life, and we can use it for good or bad. Just like a firearm, it's a tool. Businesses are on social media to promote their products because they get a wide range of individuals that can actually reach on social media. Other people use it to troll because they're stupid, they have no life, and they like to sit in their parents' basement and argue with people while they promote conspiracy theories and random facts that they just make up on their own. Other people try to actually help individuals, and the children are stuck in the middle. Government's not going to solve it, government's never going to fix it. We're going to have to do it ourselves in the communities. Keeping our kids active, keeping our kids engaged. Maybe if we had extracurriculars at school with, I don't know, auto shop or woodworking class or band or any type of sporting event, then they wouldn't be stuck on social media all the time. I love, I used to love social media all the time. I'm so busy, I never get a chance to do it. And I need to do it for my program, which we try to keep things updated on there as well, which you can find at Hoosier Reason on the handle for all of our social media sites. You like how we put that in there? But the parents need to be the ones to take care of the children, not... The federal government. I found it very frustrating listening to this whistleblower talking about how bad Facebook is. We already know Facebook's bad. I'm glad she's exposing them. Maybe we can look at some of the corruption they're doing on the censorship and the blacklisting and the shadow banning they're doing on certain individuals and certain content while they try to get rid of the hate speech on there, which they're not doing. But leave the kids out of it. And parents, if you're going to have your kids on social media, yeah, you need to be paying attention. That's your responsibility. It's not the community's responsibility. I know Hillary Clinton loved to say that the kids need to be run by the community. No, you, the parents, that's what you need to do to take care of your kids. It's just common sense, isn't it?
1: The Voice of Reason
0: with Andy Hoosier. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier with the Voice of Reason. Fighting for conservative principles seems more difficult all the time. fun facts of the month, and learn new ways to defend and preserve this great republic. It's all there at reason.com. Again, reason.com. Go check it out. Why? Because it's kind of the reasonable thing to do. public.
1: You're listening to the voice of reason
0: with Andy. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today. Radio TV live streaming podcasting. You can find if you are on the social media, you can find us as we live stream every day. Facebook live, YouTube live, Twitter, twitch.tv is the big one. Also, we have our Instagram, TikTok, ourfreedombook.com. So we are on all of these social media. And again, use responsibly. <laughs> if that's what you choose to do. All of it with the handle at Hoosier Reason. That's H-O-O-S-E-R, reason. Also on the website at who's your reason.com. Also, as a reminder for you, I didn't get a chance to do it last night. We did it today. If you want to hear the Uh, new Voice of Reason satire product infomercial that we uh, released yesterday. That is on the website. Now you can also listen to the podcast of yesterday's episode as well on any of your favorite podcasting sites with the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. And you can find it there. And uh, you can, of course, download that infomercial on the website at hoosierreason.com. You'll see the special features tab. You can find that and find all of our infomercials that we've made as kind of our fun satire bits and entertainment center for the show, trying to keep things light, trying to keep things entertaining, because that's just what we do. Don't want to just rail all the time, uh, of course, because we have way too many fun things to talk about and have fun with. Uh, By the way, at the bottom of the hour in a few minutes, I am super excited to have on a guest, John Lott. He is an economist. He's an author. He is a really, really, really smart guy. I got to meet him one time. Didn't even put two and two together. I had read his books on the economy and and freedom and capitalism and laissez-faire markets and so on and so forth. I had read him all the way since high school. When I first got into politics... And then I met him, didn't even put two and two together until I saw his book in front of him. I was like, hey, I read that book. Oh, my gosh. And so we're going to have him on the show, and we'll talk about a few things. We'll talk about the budget. We'll talk about 2 a issues because I know he's a big Second Amendment advocate as well. Plus, we'll talk to him about the California uh, recall election as he's got some numbers on that one, too. So we'll do that here in just a little bit. Really excited to chat with him. Speaking of the lunacy that's on social media. There is one low hanging fruit that we just can't get enough of. I love poking fun at her. I love doing it. Why? Because it's just easy. And the fact that people still follow her and like her makes it even <laughs> easier to poke fun at those individuals. So, this was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was on the Capitol at a little rally of a few people of like five people that was holding signs and and having her out there talking about the federal budget raising the debt ceiling, spending the $5 trillion between the federal budget and the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package. And she was talking about how we need all of it or none of it. Remember, the purest party, the purest ideology. We can't compromise. We can't work together and find a happy medium. We need to go all-out crazy socialist or nothing at all because then we're not going to get anything. I'm not quite sure the point that she's trying to make here other than I think she's trying to say – That if we get a little bit of it in compromise, then it's only going to the elites. Which is her, by the way, because she's in D.C. and just made $10 million off a Netflix deal. But if it's all of it, then we get the crumbs of a $5 trillion budget. This is what she was saying at the rally.
1: Better than nothing. Yeah, that's right. Isn't something better than nothing? And you know what we have to say? I stood up in front of the caucus and I said, you know, there might be an easy thing for some of you all to say. Because when a bill passes that is underfunded, that only gives a crumb, you get that crumb. Because when you only give some and not all, then some people get nothing. Some people people. get nothing, who gets nothing, we get nothing. You know, standing up there in that capital, and I was like, I don't know if y'all know yet by now, but I'm from the Bronx. (laughs) When you tell me, isn't something better than nothing, what I hear, what you're actually telling me, isn't something for you better? Isn't something for you better? And why don't you accept nothing so that I can get something?
0: Wow. I don't even know what that means. We're getting something that's better than nothing, but that something isn't as good as nothing because when that something happens and they're getting something and I'm getting nothing, but by golly, I want something than nothing because we need to pass this bill because something is better than nothing. Welcome to the lunacy of the left, ladies and gentlemen. That's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It just keeps getting easier. Stay right here on The Voice of Reason. Lots more coming up. The Voice of Reason. Plus, you can directly send us a message on social media during the show to let me know your thoughts. Many already do, and it's a great chat room for all of our great listeners. And you can always sign up for the Patreon site to get exclusive content, maybe hear show products before we air them on the radio, and a lot more. And when you support us on Patreon, you also help the show be able to fight for conservative values each and every day. So it's a win-win. Just find us at Who's Your Reason on all of your social media platforms, or you can find a link to all of our social media sites on our website at HoosierReason.com. We know you're on social media already so bring some reason into your day why because it's kind of the reasonable thing to do
1: when reason meets radio You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
0: Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation, one radio listener at a time. Thanks for joining us today on The Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, radio TV, live streaming, podcasting, wherever you may be watching or listening, we appreciate you very, very much. (laughs) That clip from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, we played right at the bottom of the hour, where Doing something is better than nothing, but yet the nothing is not as good because then we don't get the crumbs like you get the crumbs. So we need the crumbs, so we need all of it or nothing because the something is not better than the nothing, but it is better in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how $5 trillion is crumbs. Just saying, I really don't know how $5 trillion is actually crumbs or just a little something because that's, you know, just a little bit of a lot of stuff. So we'll talk about that. Maybe with our next guest here, I'm going to put him on the spot for just a second because I want to see if he remembers this. I got to meet this guy. Uh, I want to say, what was it, three, four years ago, and it was at the USCCA Concealed Carry Convention in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as I was helping Mark Walters, with host of Armed American Radio, host the Second Amendment Foundation booth at the USCCA convention, and Dr. John Locke came and ended up uh, sitting with us at that booth and having his books there. Now, the funny part is, is that all throughout high school— I read his books, and the very first book that I had ever read from him was Freedomnomics, because in high school, my economics class read Freakonomics. And Freedomnomics was kind of the rebuttal to that. Freedomnomics, why the free market works and other half-baked theories don't. And I, I didn't put two and two together right away until I saw the books. And I had been a fan of this guy for a really, really long time. And he is a—he's an economist. He's an author. Super awesome guy. Second Amendment advocate. Super excited to have on the program, Dr. John Lott with us here. John, how are you, my friend? D- doing great.
1: Thanks for having me on. Good yeah. to talk to you. Yeah. yeah I remember. Uh, I remember. Uh, sitting down and talking to you and Mark. Yeah, yeah, That's it was a while.
0: It, it has been a while. That's been a long time, and it was a lot of fun to meet you in person. And again, I I had read like almost all of your stuff and didn't even realize it was you until I saw your book. So it was super honor to meet you and I'm really finally excited to have you on the program. I know you've been really well, if busy. You, yeah. If you've
1: been read all my books i think i probably owe you a dinner
0: then or something <laughs> well let me say this i've read as many as i can and i try to digest as much as i can because i am not an economist nor uh t- can i try and wrap my head around uh the genius that you have so we appreciate you fighting this fight because uh, it- it's really important now and i want to pick your brain about the federal budget stuff in a minute but uh you've kind of run some numbers being the numbers guy that you are on the california recall election that happened just a week a couple weeks ago and this astronomical win, apparently, that Gavin Newsom had in California. So I want to ask you, as you've kind of watched these elections, were concerned about voter fraud in the nation, was that a legitimate election, or we should, should we be concerned about the numbers that popped out of California?
1: Look, I think there are things to be concerned about. I think the one thing to make clear, or there are two things to make clear to people. One is, so they find, you know, lots of ballots, in, a, you know, people's cars that were obviously stolen ballots. Um, they find people who tried to go and vote and being told that they've already voted. You know, both of those things seem related to me. Uh, Democrats will say, well, you know, it's easy to fix these problems. If you find ballots that have been stolen, then you go and you mail new ballots out to people because it's an all-mail-in election. They're moving that way permanently in California. And they say, it looks like somebody's already cast a ballot in your name. We could fix that also by providing provisional ballots. The problem is, it does don't really fix it. Hmm. Uh, One, you're unlikely to find all the ballots that are stolen. And secondly, uh, provisional ballots don't solve the problem because uh, not everybody votes. So in this this, uh, case, uh, you had a 40% turnout. So if I steal a thousand ballots and vote them and 400 people show up and I give them provisional ballots to hopefully fix their votes there, um, I still have 600 votes that I didn't fix. And, uh, and you know, the thing is, there's a reason why uh, virtually all the other countries in the world uh, don't have things like even absentee ballots, let so alone the mail-in ballots. You know, absent the difference between absentee ballots and mail-in ballots, is, at least for absentee, you have to request it. They just don't send out uh, envelopes to everybody who has, is registered to vote. I was living in Nevada uh, last year, and they had an election. and you In the apartment building that I was in, you walk through the mail room, and there'd be literally 50 ballots on the floor. Uh, people were getting ballots. From people who had lived in their apartment for three or four times ago, um, and uh, you know, you look at Europe for example. There are 47 countries in Europe. 46 and a half of them require government-issued photo IDs to vote. Wow. And the one exception has been part of the United Kingdom, but even now they're changing, and very shortly they're going to be like the rest of the continent. So it's going to be 47 out of 47. Uh, Three quarters of European countries ban, just completely ban absentee ballots for people living in their country. Uh, 21% uh, allow it but require that you have to have a government-issued photo ID to go and pick up the ballot. They will not send it to you in the mail. And some of those countries limit it to people who are in the military or in the hospital, and they just don't take your word for it. You just don't go and say, well, I'm going to be in the hospital. You have to have the hospital verify that you're going to be indisposed at the time of the election. (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of these countries used to have rules similar to what we have in the United States, uh, but they ran into real fraud problems. Uh, France used to have an absentee ballot system similar to ours up until 1975 when it was discovered that literally hundreds of thousands of dead people had voted and they had a massive vote buying scheme on the Island of Corsica, where apparently hundreds of thousands of people could get paid for how they voted because they would go and show people their absentee ballot and the, and then give it to them. And so the people who are paying them could be sure how they were voting. Sure. And, uh, Anyway, I can go on. The the main thing, though, when you look across the world, is how there's kind of universal agreement across political parties on solving this problem. Uh, You take Northern Ireland, for example. Uh, The first voter ID rules that were put in place there were by Margaret Thatcher in 1985, a conservative. Uh, In 2002, Tony Blair, who ran the labor government when it was in power at that time, uh, also uh was concerned about vote fraud and he was concerned that some of the ids that thatcher had allowed were able to be counterfeited and so he put in more tamper-proof government-issued photo ids uh a conservative and liberal uh labor party there in mexico all three of the major political parties there support uh the government-issued biometric id it's not only your picture, but also your thumbprint is verified. And uh, they ban absentee ballots for people living in the country because both of them concerns about fraud. And the interesting thing is that you would think, you know, in Mexico, uh, they won't send you the ID in the mail. You have to go in to apply for it, and then you have to go in a second time to pick it up. Uh, In most Mexican states, there's only one office within the state handles this. So you may have to drive 75 miles or even 100 miles uh, to go and apply for it, and then drive back a second time to pick it up. So you think for sure there's going to be a big drop-off in the rate that people are voting. No absentee ballots, you know, making it so costly for people to go and get these IDs. And yet, when they instituted this uh, in 1992, Uh, In the three presidential elections that they had afterwards, they had a 68 percent voter turnout versus 59 percent in the three presidential elections before this. And that was because when people began to believe that their votes were more likely to be valuable, that they counted, that there wasn't massive vote fraud that was occurring, people were more likely to vote. And you see the same thing in places like Ireland and other places.
0: It makes sense. I mean, when you know that it's actually valued, when you know that there's not going to be fraud countering your vote, then you're going to be more likely to want to turn out, which is going to be able to see an increase in those votes, which is wild because we it sounds like we know the other systems, we know the other countries and what they do. We have the opportunities to do that here, but yet we just don't have, what, the willpower, the political willpower? What's us from keeping from, like you mentioned, uh, cleaning up absentee ballots, cleaning up provisional ballots, making sure that we do have validation to go in to register to the vote, then to pick up your voter ID card to do this type of process? What's stopping us from doing it? Is it just Democrats?
1: Well, You know, I I suppose you're asking kind of a rhetorical question on that. (laughs) Look, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself why you don't want to know who's voting and be able to identify them. You know, in Ireland, Northern Ireland, um, after they had the reform, final reforms in 2002, and the statute of limitations had run out, uh, some academics went and interviewed uh, the people who had been the leaders of Sinn Féin, one of the big political parties there.
0: Uh,
1: and, you know, substantial statute of limitations had run out. He was pretty, they were pretty open about it. They basically talked about how they had whole fleets of cab drivers that would take people from one polling place to another, how they had printing shops set up in order to create uh, fake IDs for people, wow. how they had... Uh, houses set up so people could change their clothes you know what came out was the fact that unless you're really stupid it was very difficult to catch somebody engaging in vote fraud because the only types of people that they would ever catch were the ones who would go back to the same polling place and do it again john i tell you
0: i gotta tell you we gotta take a hard break here can you stick over one more segment with us Sure, i happy to. Fantastic. We're talking with John Lott. You can find him at johnrlott.com to find all his blogs, his book, his information there. We'll continue this conversation when we come back. Wrapping up today on a post-Monday celebration on The Voice of Reason. Stay here.
1: The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
0: Hey, it's Andy Hoosier with The Voice of Reason. Fighting for conservative principles seems more difficult all the time. Because it's kind of the reasonable thing to do. Miss part of the show? Don't worry about it. There's plenty of ways to catch the program. And here's how you can do it. First, make sure to tune in every day right here on your favorite radio station. We're here for you. Second, subscribe to the podcast on any of your favorite sites. YouTube and iTunes, Spotify and Google Play. TuneIn, Podbean and more. Have the show automatically downloaded to your favorite device. Last, visit our website at HoosierReason.com. You can listen to the podcast catch our special features and more it's the voice of reason on radio tv and online helping you defend and preserve this great republic
1: You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back
0: into the program. Last few minutes here on the show goes by way too fast. I don't care what any other talk radio host says. We are by far the fastest hour of radio on radio. Multiple radio stations, multiple TV stations, live streaming, podcasting all over the place. We are killing it with the numbers on the downloads. Thank you for that. You can find us on any of them. Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, TuneIn, Um Google Play, I don't know, whatever you have a podcast site, more you can find it on there. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. We got a few minutes left. We're talking with uh, Dr. John Lott. You can find him online, johnrlott.com. No, uh, at crime
1: at
0: crimeresearch.org. Ooh, crime Yeah, okay. Yeah, I have checked okay. out your website there too. So, uh, and real quickly, as we kind of wrap up the the uh, voting fraud issue, I've seen some of the numbers come out of Judicial Watch the, uh, the people that have died, people that have moved away near 2 million illegally registered individuals just in like L.A. County in California. Is that something that can be cleaned up? We tried under the Trump administration to do to the, the election integrity commission that had Vice President Mike Pence. It had uh, uh, Chris Kobach, our former secretary of state from here in the state of Kansas. He was on that as well. But they got stopped by lawsuits left and right, even trying to just compare voter registration lists from state to state to make sure that we could clean up fraud and it got blocked and shut down. With our current political system, can we clean up these voting systems and can we get to a clean system to where I I feel comfortable knowing that there's no fraud in it?
1: Right. Well, I mean, if it were me, uh, you know, I would have gone with what data they had. You don't need to have perfect data from all the states in order to go and do something. If you have, you know, a couple dozen states or even a dozen states, you can go and look at those. Uh, presumably those are going to be the states with the least problems, but if you can go and show that there are problems there, uh, you know, it raises real concerns. And so, uh, I understand their desire, uh, Chris Kobach's desire to kind of have the data for all the states. And of course, a lot of the states weren't willing to cooperate, yeah. but if it were me, I would have gone with what data you had. Cause I think there's a lot of things that they could have done. There's things that the federal government could have done even without the cooperation of the state. So, for example, the federal government has had the list of names and contact information where they live for all the DREAMers, who obviously weren't U.S. citizens. Could you check to see how many of them were registered to vote? Just as a simple thing. We know in a number of states uh, that uh, illegal aliens are are have free college tuition. Well. We can check then to see whether those people are registered to vote or not. Sure. Uh, Those are just a couple of simple examples. And even if you can't go and get that for all the states, uh, I think if you go and even look at a few states carefully, uh, it would at least give you an idea of what the magnitude of the problem might be.
0: Yeah, well, we have a serious issue, and you're right. I mean, with the data that's on hand, then we could at least try to clean some of this up. Last question. we got just about a minute and a half left here for well, this it's one.
1: More than just, yeah. It's more than just cleaning it up. It's also just giving people an understanding of how large the problem might be yeah. so that you can put pressure on them to go and clean it up in the other states that aren't cooperating.
0: Yeah, that's true. Just the understanding itself of letting the people know exactly what the process looks like. Uh, Last question for you, the Mike Lindell push uh, from the 2020 election with the numbers that he has. Have you followed that much with, uh, with his numbers? Do you agree with those? Do you think that those are off? What's your thoughts on that push from the 2020 election voter fraud for Mike Lindell?
1: Look, I have a lot of concerns about the voting that occurred in 2020. Uh, and I'm sure Mike Lindell's heart's in the right place. Uh, There's just a lot of things, though. You know, I think that the people that he's relying on are not the best. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, I put together a report when I was at the Department of Justice up until January uh, on vote fraud, and I think there are some real discrepancies that are there. You're having information come out in a number of states that show that there were a lot more votes recorded than people who were listed as having voted. Sure. Uh, In Pennsylvania, there's like 45,000 more votes counted than people who are listed as voting. In Nevada, it's like 9,000. In Wisconsin, it's like 92,000. You know, it's just one type of problem there. But people can find more at our website at org. They can also find more there on... uh, the rules in other countries.
0: Too. I, I love it. CrimeResearch.org. Go and check it out. Lots of information. Also, the all the books that you have, John, I love it. The latest one, Gun Control Myths, How Politicians, the Media, and Botch Studies have twisted the facts about gun, on gun control as well. Dr. John Lott, John, it's great to talk to you on the show, my friend. I'd love to get you back on again real soon.
1: Sure. Thank, happy to do it. Thank hey, you.
0: Hey, appreciate it. Good to talk to you again. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then. Be your own voice of reason. It's time to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio tomorrow. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier. While you listen to the delightful broadcast of The Voice of Reason, don't forget to check us out and follow us on all of our social media sites. Whether you're using Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Minds.com, or Instagram, we're there for you.